Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter. We'd like to thank Dockline Studios once again for hosting us. Uh, today on my show, we have uh, Dan Kahn, who is uh, running for CD8. Dan is the Vice President of Business Development for AppCon Services, his family's construction business. Dan is a graduate of the Naval Academy and became a Naval Aviator as a commissioned officer in the United States Navy. Dan is running for the open seat, currently filled by Kevin Brady, who's retiring at the end of this term. Dan, welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here, Scott. Yeah. Thank you for coming. So why don't we just start off by telling us about Dan? All right. So I uh, retired from the Navy six years ago and moved my family back to Montgomery, where I grew up. So we moved to Montgomery from Magnolia in 1981. I started second grade in Montgomery School District, mm -hmm. graduated from there in 1992, um, I met my now wife in high school. We started dating our junior year in high school. Oh, wow. So we made it yeah, through high school, through my four years in the Naval Academy, and then we got married shortly after that, and we'll That's celebrate impressive. our 25th wedding anniversary this wow. June. I know, Congratulations. right? Congratulations. I know. That's awesome. It's, I'm super stoked about that. I'm surprised she <laughs> put up with me for so long. <laughs> but anyway, after graduating from the Naval Academy, or from the high, Montgomery High School, I went to the U.S. Naval Academy, received my commission in 1996, Went on to flight school, uh -huh. uh, got my wings in 1998 as a helicopter pilot. Awesome. So I flew helicopters for the Navy. I worked on flight deck aircraft carrier. I uh, was a base operations officer at my last command before retiring and then coming back. What kind of helicopters? I flew S-860B Seahawks, anti-submarine helicopter. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Not off, not off carriers. We were off small ships, frigates, cruisers, destroyers. Mm -hmm. So we were landing on decks. Not much bigger than, not much bigger than this, <laughs> this room. A little bit bigger, but yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you walk me through real quick. I don't think a lot of people know this and you know, it's, it, you know, uh, I'll, I'm a veteran, so I'll affectionately mm -hmm. refer to you as a ring tapper. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's a difficult process. And you know, not a lot of people know what that process is. Can you walk us through how did you get selected to the Naval Academy? What do you have to do? So generally you, you apply like a junior year in high school and mm -hmm. you do your interviews and you go through to a congressional panel. Mm -hmm. So when I went, it was Joe Barton. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed with his staffers. It was up at Texas A&M. This is in 1992, 1991. Mm -hmm. uh, I did not receive a congressional nomination. I was an alternate. Okay. So because I was an alternate, I figured, well, I'm not going to get into the Naval Academy. I'll apply to Texas A&M, go through the Corps of Cadets, and mm -hmm. get my commission that way, which I had everything set up. And then I got a call from my Navy Blue and Gold officer who is kind of like, He's the liaison, the liaison officer for the for the candidates mm -hmm. in the region, and he said, "Have you gotten the call yet?" I'm like, "Sure, I don't know what you're talking about." Mm -hmm. He's like, "Well, let me be the first to congratulate you <laughs> that you've been accepted to the Naval Academy on a superintendent's nomination." Wow. I'm like, "Well, what does that mean?" He goes, "They just they liked your record, they liked everything about you, and they the superintendent gave you the nomination to the academy." So July second, nineteen ninety two, I was standing. In the middle of Naval Academy, Tecumseh Court with 1,200 of my, you know, classmates raising their right hand, swearing in. What is life like as a cadet in, in Annapolis? Right. Is that well, like? It's a midshipman in Annapolis. Oh, that's right. That's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, so a lot of people didn't really like it because of all the restrictions. You know, you can only, you got to be in bed by 10, up by 6. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't go out a whole lot. There's a lot of restrictions on your liberty. I didn't really care. I mean, I was there for a reason. I wanted to fly. Mm -hmm. So... That was to my efforts were all about, oh, I get in the cockpit. 
But it's great. I mean, actually, it's nice to have to go to bed at 10. It's nice to have, you know, know you're going to get up at 630 and then do your stuff with your upperclassmen. Yeah. We call them come arounds where you'd go to their room and they'd ask you a ton of questions about, you know, all your pro knowledge, all the different ranks, you know, the different uh, equipment we have in the military. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this class of ship. Tell me what this aircraft can do. How far can this weapon shoot? So you're learning all this stuff. And then you got your classes, right? So you go to class. And then you come back, and then you do your extracurricular activities, your intramural sports. If you're, you know, part of a varsity sport, you do that. Mm-hmm. I was a trainer for the football team. Oh wow! So I was a water boy, basically. Yeah. So Adam Sandler, they <laughs> they base that off of me at at the Naval Academy. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I was a water boy trainer, athletic trainer. So I got to meet all those guys and yeah. and learn a lot about just you know sports injuries and what it took to to deal with them. So it was. I mean, I enjoyed my time there. I didn't mind the restrictions. And yeah. as you get farther along in the process, as you're, as you're you know, becoming an upperclassman, then a lot of those restrictions go away. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, awesome. So 20 years in the mm-hmm. Navy, what, what rank did you make it to? Lieutenant commander. Okay. 04. It's equivalent to an Army Lieutenant major. Right. It's, it's equivalent to a major in oh, the okay. Army or the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you for your service. Well, thank you. That's awesome. So we're going to jump into uh, sort of your political... Uh, philosophy here uh my first question is uh what is the purpose of government well i think just to put it very simply the purpose of government is to defend and protect our individual god-given rights that's right out of the declaration of independence that's awesome yeah i'll take that i'll take that as a valid source of that yeah for real uh i mean that document uh as a history teacher I, i i can't say enough about that document um, and just how important that is. I, I, I view the, the Declaration of Independence is how I, I talk about it to my students is you have really the, the classical era, you know, ancient a- Athens, ancient Rome, uh, and all that political theory that went into those civilizations. And then you ha- when Rome falls, you have this, you know, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, the Medieval Era, and then all of a sudden this thought process reawakens in the Renaissance and the Renaissance gives us this wonderful, you know, 500 years worth of just awesome thinking, you know, the scientific revolution, the Protestant reformation, the enlightenment. And in, in my opinion, I think out of all of that, you know, long uh, evolution of thinking, the declaration of independence and then the constitution that follows it, um, I think those are the crown jewels of, of all of human thought in regards to politics. So I see it as absolutely essential for our, our candidates and our, you know, our representatives in Congress to have that sort of understanding. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. Well, look at what those documents gave the world, mm-hmm. right? I don't think when the framers and the founders and the drafters of those documents were doing what they were doing, that that they knew exactly the impact that a government of, by, and for the people would bring to the world. Right. I mean, initially, and you can correct me if I'm wrong as a historian, but we didn't want to necessarily declare independence from Britain. We just wanted to fix the problems mm-hmm. that they saw back then, right? I mean, the taxation, the all, all the different things that, that, that they grieved in the Declaration of Independence that, right. are, that are listed there. But ultimately, it comes to a point where you have to overthrow that tyranny mm-hmm. when you can no longer bear it. That's right. And that's exactly, again, where we are today, I'm afraid. So mm-hmm. so the, the 
the Constitution comes, and what's this, like 780 words or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very long. small document. But look what it gave us. I mean, it gave us this form of government that if we actually lived by it, right, if we mm-hmm. would put the government back in the box that our, con- that our, our constitutional f- writers and framers gave us, we would the, the nation we wouldn't have all all the problems that we have today. I don't think. I mean, I, that's I'm a firm believer in that, and we can get to that in a little bit. But yeah, no, that absolutely. is ultimately what I'm trying to do. That's awesome. So my next question is, uh, and we will definitely touch base on some of those issues here in a second. But uh, let's let's frame our conversation with this next question. Um, you um, paint yourself as a conservative Republican, okay? So does Mitt Romney. Right. <laughs> I don't think Mitt Romney's a conservative. Uh, in, so in that, what does it mean to be a conservative? Walk us through that. Well, I think there's a number of definitions for conservative. But if you take the primary word in conservative, which is conserve, mm-hmm. then we need to ask ourselves, what are we trying to conserve? Mm-hmm. Right? The left wants to progress. Yes. Like, they want to progress to what end... We know what it is, mm-hmm. right? It's some it's some socialist utopia that they believe exists out there, yes. but I've yet to see it come to fruition anywhere on the, on the globe. Right. So we as conservatives are trying to conserve. Well, what are we trying to conserve? I think we're trying to conserve those constitutional principles mm-hmm. that our founders gave us, specifically life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those those are the three in the Declaration of Independence, our inalienable rights that come from God. Mm-hmm. But we, we want to conserve our family values. We want to conserve what it means to be an American. We want to conserve uh, our, tr- our faith. We want to conserve our liberty. We want to conserve uh, just the way of life that makes America unique. We don't need to be like the rest of the world. We are not designed to be like the rest of the world. Right. No, I, one of my favorite presidents, uh, and he, this is probably going to shock a lot of people, um, you know, when you go down and you're like, all right, who, who's the, the best, who makes your top five list? Um, you know, you're going to get Lincoln, you're going to get, you know, George Washington, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson. James Are we really going to get Lincoln? I, I think I, that's a topic for another conversation. That, that is a huge, <laughs> yeah, we could, I mean, we could do a whole show on that for yeah. sure. But, um, no, Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge. Yes, sir. Probably the most conservative presidents we've had. Yeah. And he, he's, the, he's the first conservative president that you really get after the whole progressive era mm-hmm. disaster. So you have Teddy Roosevelt, who was a Republican. You have William Howard Taft, who was a Republican. And you have Woodrow Wilson, who's a Democrat. And all of them are progressive presidents who did, you know, in my opinion, some disastrous mm-hmm. things. And then you get, you know... Warren Harding in there, but then Calvin Coolidge and Calvin Coolidge on, you know, uh, it was on the 150th year anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1926, just punches that whole progressive ideology right in the face when he says that, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, not quoting, but he says, um, you know, if we have a right to life, that that is uh, final. If you have a right to liberty, that that is final. Uh, and the pursuit of happiness. These are f- these are things that are final. They're fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, no progress can be made on them because they are perfect. Uh, and anybody that you know tries to make progress on these ideas actually regresses to a point when uh, those weren't held as ideals. And I just think that that sums it up pretty elegantly. Uh, 
you know, why we need to fight for these principles and, you know, stand against the left and their constant need to improve everything. Right. <laughs> well, and let's be honest, it's not progressive. It is a regressive movement. Right. They are trying to actually take us back to some level of government control over everything. Right. That's right. Well, I mean, here's the thing. They're, they're Marxists. They're socialists, communists, whatever you want to, whatever you want to term them. All right, I, I, I just refer to them simply as leftists. Uh, we don't have liberals and conservatives fighting it, you know, like we did, you know, in the nineteen nineties. You know, there aren't really any liberals left. There's, there's a few, you right. know, Christian Cinema maybe, um, Joe Manchin, you know, examples, you know. And they seem like, and they're being cast as so far extreme right right now that it's like right. it's nuts. And they're, but they're liberals, you know. Yeah. Yes. But they're not leftists, and that's the mm -hmm. difference. And you know, to go back to what you were saying about the American Revolution, what makes it so unique among political revolutions in world history is that it, you you nailed it. It's conservative in nature. They're conserving the way of life in the colonies prior to 1763, uh, you know, and every revolution that occurred after the American Revolution uh, is progressive in mm -hmm. nature, if you will. You know, the, it's based off of the political ideology of Rousseau um, and then later on uh, Hegel and Marx. And does that's a recipe for disaster because it doesn't, Rec those ideologies, those political ideologies, don't recognize uh, the self-evident truth that's inherent in natural law theory. Um, and uh, that's a problem. Yeah, it is a problem. I mean, and look how well that's worked out in all those places. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> but that's the thing. That, th here's, here's the key. Like, you want to end racism in America? Follow natural law. Mm -hmm. You want to end, you know, human suffering? Follow natural law. Whenever you don't follow natural law, what you're going to get out of that is human suffering and misery. And it's that simple. Now, we're flawed human beings. Yes, yes. I was getting a comment. We, we can't remove yeah. our humanity from this whole thing. That's, that's right. That's why we keep ending up in the same problems. But that, that was the brilliance of the framers and the founders in that they recognized that human beings were flawed. Madison writes in Federalist 51 that if you know men were angels, no government would be needed. Mm -hmm. uh, but, of course, men aren't angels. No. You know? And so what they, the genius of the, of the framers was to use that competing, uh, you know, political, uh, you know, ideas uh to use men's um you know every man is going to have some agenda you know mm -hmm. uh, that they are pursuing and the brilliance of that is to use that competition uh to to check in on that uh the power itself and you know i feel like with the left today they don't recognize that human beings are flawed you know that we can evolve to be these perfected individuals uh you know and it's just like what are you smoking dude yeah it's, it, it's 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 ignorance because you can't look at the history of the world and not see that man is not progressing towards being perfect not progressing towards even being any better right if anything we are getting worse mm -hmm. right I mean, we there's been atrocities since the dawn of time and there are atrocities now and so man has not shown any inclination to improve himself as a race yeah we, we haven't we haven't done it 
We can't. Go ahead. And if you're, even if you're a Christian, you know, like you believe that, that we are fallen and that is our state, mm-hmm. right? We can be saved, right, through Jesus's blood and his sacrifice on the cross. But we always know that that sin nature, we're going to carry it around until he comes back and perfects us. That's right. That's right. Uh, I love leftists and their their use of the word utopia. You know, utopia is where, where that word comes from is it was a book written mm-hmm. by Sir Thomas More. Um, and he writes about this island uh, and he calls it utopia and he describes basically communism or socialism within the book itself and you know it's kind of thomas more is a brilliant lawyer and he's making fun of this idea he's he's you know it's a comedy almost mm-hmm. uh, and you know i just think it's so funny that these leftists are like we need utopia i'm like <laughs> have you read the book you know of course they haven't um but we need to stop this Marxist agenda, you know, of the left, you know, the government takeover, uh, the federal uh, takeover of state elections, for example. That's going to be disastrous. That's just the latest one, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you propose, uh, if, if you were elected to Congress, how are you going to stop that? So I think like nearly any issue that we have, if, if, we, wanna, if we really want to push through what it's going to take to save our country— and the solution is quite simple, actually. The, the solution simply is to restore everything to the constitutional principles. To, the, and what I mean by that specifically is the enumerated powers in the Constitution that the federal government has or should be the only ones that they have. Mm-hmm. So all this stuff that we have now, all these bureaucracies, these agencies, all these things that are going on don't need to exist. All right now, if we can push everything down locally into the state level, then we remove any mechanism nationally that the that the left has to influence and make changes and, and, and start taking more and more of the rights and liberties away from the people. And they've done it through education. They do it in the inner cities. They do it through EPA. They, they do it through all that. They do it through all that. They push their agenda in all of those things. Right. So ultimately the goal would be to start chipping away, defunding, getting rid of all those things and putting them all back, putting the government back in its box and letting the states and the people do what they're constitutionally authorized to do. So under the Constitution in Article 1, it says that – uh, all legislative mm-hmm. power is placed in the, the Congress. Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet we have this huge administrative state that you were just we talking sure do. about. Um, you know, you have the FAA saying that, you know, essentially has been given the power to make law and to not just make law, but then to also adjudicate it and enforce it. Right. <laughs> you know, so you're taking all three branches of government and, the responsibilities of those branches of government that are supposed to be competing for, you know, that power and you're in placing it into a fourth branch of government that uh, right. in my opinion is unconstitutional. It is, it is a travesty of checks and balances and the, the you can place blame in a number of places, but you, you can't necessarily blame that on the FAA. You, mm-hmm. It's, it's Congress's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Congress is the one who's failed. And even, to some extent, and this might make some people upset, it's the voters. So the voters aren't holding their representatives. Resp- so they're kind of like losing track of what all's going on mm-hmm. around them. And you can't blame the, the American people because they just want to live their lives. They want to do their jobs. They want to take care of their families, put food on the table, and maybe have a little fun here and there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but it's our responsibility as voters to be educated, to be informed. So you can then hold your elected representatives accountable when they're failing to do the things that they're supposed to do. And one of those in this particular case is, in fact, not permit those unconstitutional agencies to do the things they're doing that mm-hmm. violate the 
you know, the Constitution and the checks and balances that they're. Yeah, but they're experts, Dan. I mean, that's why we have so them in there. This, this is what I love. <laughs> what makes people think that just because you're in the federal government, you're smarter than the guy who's working behind the counter in the feed store in Conroe, Texas? You're not. Right. There's nothing about the federal government that makes it better than the state government, the local government, mm -hmm. or you and me sitting here in a chair in a nicely paneled wooden room having a chat for an hour. Yeah. So that is a fallacy and it drives me absolutely crazy because <laughs> half the time these people actually aren't better. They just found right. a government job they can't be fired from because it's impossible to fire a federal employee nearly. And they get all the holidays off. I mean, it's, it, it's a it's cush. Right. It's cush. Yeah. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. The administrative state is, yes. I think, probably, in my opinion, you know, the number one thing that we absolutely need to take on and, and destroy. And it, it's, it's something as simple as having, you know, the House of Representatives and the United States Senate to sit up there and say, you know what, we're not doing our job. And not only that, we actually don't have the enumerated power to abdicate power to some no, other body. you don't. <laughs> and... There's a lot of things. There's a lot of areas we can go from this particular point. We got a lot of problems in the country. I mean, that that is certainly one of them. And I agree with you. That would be the one of my priorities getting up there. Mm -hmm. um, I was having a conversation last night about what would be the first thing we do when we get up there. We can talk. Well, let's come back to this in a little bit. But that's the biggest thing, right? Yeah. We need to fight the tyranny of the left. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're they are def, def, definitely and desperately trying to take over our nation. So mm -hmm. we've got to fight that. Sure. Which I think we can do through you know, the other about getting the Constitution back. But then we also have so many holes to plug in the meantime, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're like the little Dutch boy. We, we've got to plug all the holes in the dam, immigration, medical issues, spending, security, what's going on overseas, uh, you know, taxation, energy, manufacturing. Mm -hmm. There's all these. We don't have enough fingers, right? But we're trying to plug <laughs> all the holes because... Yeah. We're losing our nation bit by bit by that. But meanwhile, the water on the other side, like the whole, the left's entire agenda is still pressing against us. So we've got to take care of the water on the other side of the dam and get it down. It's got to recede. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to drain that. Yeah. Or we're never going to be done with this. Or it's going to sink the ship of state. Yes. yes absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and there's so much to do. There's just, it's yeah. so much to do. But you can't let that overwhelm you. You just got to go. You got to fight. No. And I mean, so we have to. <clears throat> I think it starts with education. Education, I think, is the biggest, you know, component of waking Americans up. Did I say that a minute ago? Because I hope I did. You did I you, start to say it? Because so I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. Yeah. We have to educate. We have to educate. It starts in our schools. We got to educate our children, mm -hmm. right? Not federally, but we got to educate our children right. on the proper role of government. You got to educate them on the dangers of other types of government: socialism, communism, mm -hmm. authoritarianism. We have to educate you and me. We have to educate yes. the voters. We have to educate members of Congress who apparently don't know why they're right. there, what their role is. So you're so right. We educate, right? And then once we educate, in the meantime, if we want to get to our end state, which is a government of, by, and for the people, then we have to start resisting every everything that comes across the plate that the left throws at us. Yeah. We have to resist it. We have to, re all meanwhile, we're restoring and returning our nation as best we can back to its its founding principles. And finally, we have to attack. We, we attack everything they're doing against us, but we attack with the truth. Mm -hmm. We can't attack with lies. We can't attack with platitudes. We can't attack with just slogans. You have to actually attack with the truth 
and the right thing. And that's, that's going to save our nation. Yep, you're absolutely right. So I teach my students um, at my school that the lens in which we view the world is truth, beauty, and goodness. And that is a classical idea. Mm-hmm. That that's what you're looking for in everything is truth, beauty, and goodness. And it, it has this awesome relationship with one another. All right. So the definition of truth is dependent upon the definition of beauty. The definition of beauty is dependent upon the definition of truth. Like it, you know, goes both ways and same with goodness, uh, in beauty and goodness and truth. Um, and so everything that is beautiful is good. Everything that is good is true. Everything that is true is beautiful. And then everything that is beautiful is true. Everything that's true is good. Everything that is good is beautiful. Uh, it, that's the relationship that it works. And if you view the world in that lens, like that steers you, uh, you know, in the right direction. Um, and that's what we need to get back mm-hmm. to. Um, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. Um, but we're going to have a fight on our hands. So Oh, undoubtedly. So, you know, uh, I have this, uh, I, I, I'm probably going to start making this uh, a point, you know, obviously this is going to be on you, my YouTube channel. Um, and, you know, um, and, uh, y- you know, we're saying some radical things here, you know, I'm, oh, gee, are you, are you guys going to cancel me, YouTube? Huh? <laughs> are you going to cancel me? Come Please. On. Yeah, let's cancel do it. me. It'd be so good for me if you can cancel me. Like, you know. I could, you know, I'll be a right wing hero. You know, make me a right wing hero, YouTube. Cancel me, please. <laughs> but tech censorship, that's a big deal, you know, because how am I supposed to get this message out there? You know, going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, this show, what I'm trying to do here is literally designed to do everything that you just said about educating mm-hmm. the normal person, right? Um, that's why I invited you on the show. I want everybody to get to know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Thank they can you. make an informed decision on who right. we send to Washington. Yes. So what happens when YouTube does actually, you know, make my day and cancel me? How do we fight back against that? I mean, you've seen some of the stuff pop up with other, you know, alternative platforms. But mm-hmm. my concern with those platforms is they end up like an echo chamber and you're going to have the same mm-hmm. uh, ideologies in there. So it's not actually getting to the people you want to get to, which is that audience on YouTube that you're no longer able to talk to. Right. So I guess we actually have to start figuring out how we're going to treat these, these tech giants. I mean, are they, are they platforms or are they, you know, utilities? Right. That, that's what, that's what it boils down to. Sure. And, and they can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. Right. You know, I, I look at it. This is very much, I think my, my opinion on it is, you know, these social media platforms, be it Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or, you know, any, any, you know, you guys know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, right? This has become the public square in in the modern uh, era. You know, this is the ancient agora, you know, where I'm up there in the marketplace and I'm able to say what I want to say. And, you know, if you don't like what what I'm saying, people would throw tomatoes at you, right? Well, especially (laughs) nowadays because there aren't, there isn't a public square. I mean, the public squares, you have to get permission from the school and your square is only like a one yard by one yard block and you can stand inside that. Like these free speech zones, like, come on. Yeah, no. Everywhere is a free speech zone. Yes. I hate to inform Everywhere. you. If you are a part of the government or get government funding, state schools, then you don't get to set up yeah. free speech zones. No. I'll say what I want, where I want, yeah. and you'll like it. <laughs> it well, yeah, or you won't like it. I don't care if you don't like it, but right. that's, constitutionally, that's my right. Right. Yeah. 
That's the whole point of negative law. It negates the government's ability to make law yes. about those things. And it's a hard thing to describe negative rights and positive rights mm-hmm. because the words just... That's another topic for a different conversation. But yeah, the negative well, rights... I don't think it's so. I think it's very much appropriate. Oh, it's appropriate, but it, yeah. it, it'll confuse some people with the term negative rights and positive well, rights. Well, I mean, all right, so... I, I talk about this all the time in Good. my classes. This right. is simple, all right? Negative doesn't mean that it's bad. What no. you're doing, think of it as like a minus sign, all right? Like, this is government power, all right? Negative law or negative rights, I'm taking it from you, government. You know, think of the First Amendment, you know? Mm-hmm. Congress shall make no law. Stop. What's Congress's job? To make law. Yeah, but you can't make law about these five yes. things, okay? Positive law... Uh, it's the exact opposite. Yes. It doesn't mean that it's good. All right. There's plenty of bad laws out there, but I'm empowering you. I'm giving you a plus sign, positive law yes. to make law. Pretty simple. Yeah. That's you know? very good job. Thank you, sir. <laughs> it's like I get paid to do this. for <laughs> It's almost as if. Not, not much, but I do <laughs> well, get you paid. You get a little bit. <laughs> well, you got a lot of kids to feed. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so we need to, we need to get together and we need to, you know, figure out how to take on all of these different uh, avenues that, you know, the left is throwing at us, like you said. Um, but my, my question is, you know, w- you get elected, you know, you win your primary, um, you, you know, win the general, we send Dan up to Washington uh, next year. Um, and you have all of these principles and all of these ideas and, you know, you're going to stand firm for us. And, but, can one person out of 435 really make a difference? Yes. So, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I, so back in July when I was really coming down to the last decision point of if I was going to run or not, mm-hmm. I, started, I started writing notes to myself. I started writing notes to myself about what I wanted to do, what I wanted to accomplish, what I believed. Mm-hmm. The first thing I wrote down is, no matter what I, no matter what happens in the race, I want to run it to God's glory. Mm-hmm. Right, I do everything for His glory. The second thing I wrote down, right, is one man can make a difference. Mm. That was the second thing I wrote down, and then I went in to write down all that stuff. But sure. it was those two things. God gets the glory. One man can make a difference. I heard on the radio this morning, and it's a quote. It's either attributed to Thomas Jefferson or Andrew Jackson or maybe nobody, mm-hmm. but it is one man with courage makes a majority. Mm. Right, so one man with courage makes a majority. You can't go up to D.C. and wait for reinforcements. You have to go there, especially now. Right, it would be, it would be a lot different if all we had to do was was plug a few holes, like we talked a little bit about. If we just had to fix the immigration issue, which is a big problem, or we just had to manage healthcare, which should be at the state's level. But anyway, if it was just those little things, then mm-hmm. maybe you could go up there and, and take your time a little bit or wait for reinforcements, but. Like we've talked about, we are right, and I firmly believe this, we are right there on the edge of we save our nation or we lose it, right? We don't have time mm. to wait. We don't have time to not go up there and and be courage, courageous and loud and, and push and demand and act and and do. It's about doing. It's not even about demanding. Yeah. Right? I get flyers from one of the other candidates that says, I'm going to demand this and demand that. I'm like, you can demand all you want you got to go up there and do mm-hmm. so yes sir answer your question yes one one man can make a difference i have to believe that's the truth right 
So it, it, I think it's duty. You know, you have a duty. You have a responsibility. Well, and, and, yes. And I think, you know. There are 700,000 plus people that I'll represent, right? Whatever 330 million divided by 435 is, uh, it's, it's a lot, right? Yeah. It's a whole lot. Right. It's actually an impossible amount of money, amount of people to actually represent. But that's that's what it is. That's what it is. Those yeah. people, whether they vote for me or not, I'm up there representing them. My job is only to them. Mm-hmm. My my uh, my purpose for being there is only to represent them in their best interest and to fight for their liberty and be their advocate for truth. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. It is the duty. That is the duty. Right. And I think, you know, like veterans get that, you know, we have a, that sense of duty. Yes. And I think, you know, uh, as Americans, I, I think we've lost a part of that, you know, uh, in our culture. And we need to get back to a place where that, that word actually has, has some meaning mm-hmm. and, and value to it, you know, and, Republicans generally, you know, they just get up there. They don't have a spine. They ha- have no sense of duty. Uh, they're weak need. They buckle. They compromise. But why? I mean, that, Yeah. well, who knows? I think they're afraid. Mm-hmm. What are they afraid of? Are they afraid of being called a racist? Are they afraid of being called a bigot? I mean. They're going to call you that anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So just call me that. Yeah. I know it's not true. Right. You know it's not true. The American people know it's not true. Right. So. Just look at that we do our jobs and we just keep just shrugging them off. Like, look, I got, mm-hmm. I got no time for your stupid antics. Yeah. I got a no, nation, I got a nation to save. So. Right. And, you know, I feel like if we just had the Republican caucus to start doing that, like, like you said, I mean, the time of being the gentleman statesman was in the 1990s and that's over. Like the gloves are off guys. Like we have, we're not, you know, ideologically disagreeing with some well-intentioned liberals anymore. We're no. fighting leftists and Marxists that want to tear down every single institution in our society. Everyone. They've already have. Mm-hmm. They already have gotten way too far. So one thing I think the Republicans in general, this is what I this is what what I've seen they've let happen over the last few decades is the left will come in with some Big thing. Like, they, we want to take five inches of liberty away from people, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just to put in measurements. <laughs> we want to take five yeah. inches away of liberty from people or corporations or, or whatever, whatever they want to do. They, they want to come in, they want to, they want to take this much away. Mm-hmm. The Republicans are like, no, 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 you can't do that at all. Then, then the left come back, all right, well, we'll just take two. And the Republicans are like, when we win, we've mm-hmm. only given them two instead of five. But they've taken two and two and two and two and two. Right. And the Republican Party's like, win 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 for us because we haven't we didn't give them all five Mm -hmm. well now we've got three miles in two inch increments right of lost liberty yeah that we've got to get back two three four five six inches at a time Mm -hmm. so it's our turn we we got to stop playing their stupid game they've been doing it for a long time they've they've been playing the long game better almost as good as the communist chinese have oh yeah i think you can compare them no absolutely the american left I use the term American loosely in that case. Mm-hmm. The left in America has been playing the same type long game that the communist Chinese are one little bit of a time. We'll take a couple setbacks as long as we can, you know, oh, yeah. know that our, our plus would be greater than our minus. No, for, I mean, for well over a hundred years. I mean, starting with those progressives in the you yes. know, 1880s, 1890s, yeah. uh, you know, and they started it before, even before back then, like Dewey understood when he was talking about ed- educating oh, children. Boo right? hiss. Yes, I know. Right. 
I, I didn't even know anything about that until just a few months ago when I, I started hate hearing John Dewey with a fiery passion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I, said, I didn't even know. Yeah. I, I just thought he developed this great numbering system for the library when right? I was in elementary school. That's like all I knew about. Yeah. It. But no, he he took uh, the the greatest and best education system in the entire world and mangled it and yeah. destroyed it. And for what? Like, and it, I mean, for I'm, state I'm, control. Let me. Yeah. I was about to say that. Let me put my tinfoil hat on oh here. Gosh, real I've quick, got so but, many tinfoil hats. Know, <laughs> but yeah. When you intentionally dumb down the public, which is what you're doing when you don't teach them how to think critically and independently as human beings, which is what classical education does, mm -hmm. and you push this one-size-fits-all approach into education, um, what you're doing is you're dumbing down the population. Well, then you have to ask the question, well, why? Why are we dumbing down the population? Oh, because then they're easy to control. And I can push my political agenda and ram it through and look at what has happened look since we've what started <laughs> yeah since <laughs> since the 1930s yeah we've been trying education out the dewey way mm -hmm. and look at what it has gotten us you know um so i mean me personally when it comes to that you know i i feel i feel qualified to talk about it i think that you know i'm a huge proponent of school choice um i think that the dollars should be following the student you know yeah and if you know johnny has you know twenty thousand dollars in his bank account that he can only use for an edu on an educational uh agency or, or organization or whatever then you know johnny's gonna be like hmm, i can go to the public school or government school yeah th yes thank <laughs> you i've been meaning to try to correct <laughs> yes I know. just like i say leftist instead of liberal mm, it's government trying to bring government myself. transportation don't forget anything yep. just replace public with government and people yep. are like Ugh. yeah government yeah that's a nasty word yeah, that's, that's a gross. four letter word right <laughs> it there. is a four letter <laughs> word that's why i always just write govt on my stuff yeah there <laughs> we go um but i mean it's it's insane that it hasn't happened in texas yet i mean 70 percent of Republicans want it. And this is shocking. 68% of Democrats want school choice. And yet, why hasn't it happened? Yeah, that's all about money. It's all about money. You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta like wean yourself off the federal teat, man. You've mm -hmm. got, and that's across everything. It's not right. just education, but when the federal government gets its dollars and people start taking that stuff, mm -hmm. they've got you. Yeah, no, they're like a crack dealer. Yeah. I mean, like you yeah, start, they give you a little you buy bit crack here. one time. Well, that's from, right, and you, that well, they guy's give it to like you for free him. the first time. The first time's free. <laughs> that's right. Then they hook you, mm -hmm. and then you're then yep. you're an addict. <laughs> so <sighs> we get you up there. We get you elected. We have all these ideas. Are you interested? What what sort of caucuses are you going to align yourself with? Would you you know? Are we going to be on the Freedom Caucus? Or, you know. So this this question came up at the at the uh, Eagle Forum forum a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. and I answered saying that I wasn't necessarily going to seek a caucus. I guess the question was, would you join the Freedom Caucus? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, my answer was, I'm going up there to fight for the people. If there's a if there's a caucus or a group that aligns with my values on liberty and freedom then yes, I would be honored to join that. And I think it would be beneficial. It's beneficial to have somebody at your back. Mm -hmm. It's also beneficial to have a like-minded group of people sure. that can unite and fight. We talked a bit about a lone, a lone guy, a lone voice. Mm -hmm. you know, one man can make a difference, but one man can make a difference if he's got 50, 60 brothers and sisters with him. That's makes, right. Makes a much bigger difference. So yes, 
given the opportunity, yes, particularly the, the Freedom Caucus. But that doesn't mean that if, if they decided not to invite me, that I wouldn't continue to fight because that's that's what's sure. important is fighting for the people. Absolutely. So if you were to be elected, uh, Kevin McCarthy is, uh, you know, pr- I, I, assuming we take over the House, which I think everybody, even Democrats, assume this. <laughs> yeah, and maybe they're saying that just to get people, you know, complacent, but, but I'm uh, not going to be complacent. Kevin McCarthy uh, would likely be, you know, Speaker of the House. Uh, would he get your support? I think there are probably better options mm-hmm. for the American people. Obviously, Jim, Jim Jordan is like the first person that comes to mind. Yeah, uh, you know, some people say, "Well, the Constitution doesn't even say it's got to be a member of the House." So let's select Donald Trump. Like, well, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. I'm not sure that would be well how that would fly, but you know, I think we need you need you need a Speaker of the House who's going to do nothing but push the conservative. And the and the and the liberty agenda. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Let's make Donald Trump speaker in the house, impeach Biden, impeach Harris, get him <laughs> convicted in the Senate. There we go. Boom. I have heard people talk about that. <laughs> like, well, that would certainly be one way. All to right, do it. I'm going to come back to reality now. All right, that yes. is just fun. Um, Sorry, you know, YouTube world. Right, uh, but you you are correct. Uh, you know, anybody can be speaker of the mm-hmm. house if the house elects. I could, y- you all could elect me as speaker I, of the house. Man, you've got my um, vote. <laughs> we can do this. Thank you. I support. Mm. I. I I, I I appreciate the support. Um, no, I don't want that job. But um, no. <laughs> I'm happy to. But sit you in my might be able to get chair. a big, you know, a big house with a nice freezer full of delicious ice cream. Oh, that's true. But you, you know, make millions. Well, that's what would be really funny if if that were to happen because you know, you get your paycheck uh, as speaker in the house generally because you're a congressman. Mm-hmm. If you were to elect me, I don't think the job pays. Yeah, anything. I don't think so. How would we so. Do you know, if I was elected Speaker of the House all of a sudden and I'm not getting a paycheck from the job and yet somehow ended up being a millionaire, we would maybe start to understand this process. A yes, little I know. Better. Something's going on, right? <laughs> well, Dan, I really appreciate you coming on the, oh, the man, show. It's been my blast. pleasure. Um, my last question for you is why should uh, the, the Republicans in uh, CD8 vote for you um, in the primary? So we talked a little bit earlier about being a military officer or serving in the military in general. And, and while I'm not running on my service, uh, I think it gives a little bit of insight into who I am, my character, leadership abilities, uh, my behavior under stress and pressure. But more importantly than that, and we talked about this also, is the Constitution. The oath we swear as servicemen and women to the Constitution of the United States to support and defend her against all enemies, foreign and domestic. It is certainly one thing to go and fight our nation's wars overseas, fighting that foreign enemy. But if we were to take a, if we if we take a step back now and actually look at what's going on in our country, we see that the enemy is no longer foreign. We are also fighting a domestic enemy, and it is the left. It is the left that is trying to strip our rights away, what it means to be an American, and turn us into a socialist wasteland. That's where we're going. Every candidate on the ballot for the Republican Party for CD8 coming up on the March 1st primary is going to run on conservative values. <laughs> They're going to run on fixing the border, uh, fiscal conservatism, uh, health care issues, education, choice, all those different things. But what they don't 
What I don't hear any of them talking about is the solution that we talked about a little bit earlier, and that is, in fact, doing what needs to be done to take our government, which has gotten so big, and putting it back in its constitutional box. And part of that means chopping it into the pieces that need to go away, getting rid of the Department of Education, getting, getting rid of you know the Department of uh, Housing and Urban Development. All these things where the left has gotten their tentacles into and basically destroyed what it means to be America and what it means for the states to have their own sovereignty and what it means for the people to have their own personal liberty. So that's what needs to be done. I hear no other candidate talking about that. They, they, they just, they'll spout the platitudes. They'll, you know, those are the things that, that they think are gonna, they're going to get elected on, talking about who's endorsed them, talking about the money they've made. Uh, but I understand the problem, and I have the plan to fix it. And we, we talked about that earlier. It starts with education, and it goes with resisting and restoring and returning to our constitutional principles, all the while, while we are attacking with truth the lies of the left. If we can do all those things, then yes, one man can go to Washington and make a difference. Because one man with courage makes a majority. So my name is Dan McCon. You can go to danfortexas.com. That's Dan4, the number 4, texas.com. I'd appreciate your support and your vote. So thank you. Dan, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. It's been, it's been my It has been my honor, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. We'd like to thank DocLine Studios once again for hosting us, and uh, we will see you on the next exciting episode of Impolite Company. Thanks again, Dan. You're welcome. Thank you.